Heavenly Father, thank you for this evening, Lord. The gathering of your saints I know is beautiful in your sight. I pray that this gathering would be like a sweet-smelling aroma to you, Lord. I pray that your word would not return void, that it would accomplish all its purposes, Lord. I pray that our, our hearts would be sensitive, that we would be good soil to receive your seed. And I pray for the power of your Holy Spirit to transform us through your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, can you say hello to someone, please? All right, you may be seated. Come on in, everybody. Happy Wednesday, Word Wednesday. Get your midweek fill up. If you have your Bibles, please take them out and turn to the book of Romans, chapter 14. So we continue our way through the book of Romans. We're learning in the latter part of the book of Romans, we're learning about serving. So when I say the latter part of the book of Romans, we're talking about chapters 12, 13, 14, 15, and 16. And chapter 12 sort of sets the stage for serving by saying... I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God. So, based on everything that he had said in Romans chapter 1 through 11, so based on that, now do something with it. So, I urge you, I plead with you, understand that the gifts of God are given and meant to be exercised and worked out, not to be simply observed from a distance or understood in the head, but there to be worked out in the life. And I thought it was really amazing when Pastor Brian was here on a Saturday, no, Sunday, a couple weeks ago. And when you talk to Pastor Brian, we got to spend some time with him when, when he was here, him and his wife. But because of the extreme nature of his ministry in Haiti, he has to look into the Word of God every moment to find out, what do I do? What does it say? For him, the Word of God is truly living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. He needs that, like, Lord, what do I do? Lord, am I doing it right? Lord, am I doing it wrong? Lord, give me wisdom. Give me understanding. And he goes to the Word for that. And that's what the Apostle Paul is stressing in the last part of this book, not just to be great theologians in the head, but to be those who walk it out. And how do we do that? Chapter 12, verse 1, to present yourself to God as a, remember, holy, living sacrifice. So that's how it works. It works by understanding how great God is, chapters 1 through 11, and then taking that and saying, Lord, I give myself to you. So it's a giving of oneself to the things of God, allowing God to work in the heart of that individual to practical application in life. So we're doers of the word. So as he works this out, he gives us an understanding of the practicalities of being a Christian. And so we're going to get in the, into that today, and he, and he talks about the importance, really, of, of love. So love will be the quality of God that's manifest through our life when we present ourselves to God. And it's not our love, it's the love of God that's working in and through our life. And so in chapter 13, he talks about loving those who are in authority. Sometimes, we talked about that last week, as believers, we think, well, especially as Americans, we think, well, God's love 
does not count when we're talking about the politicians. So that's where it's, it's not good for them. But everybody else, yes. But politicians, no. So we talked about that. that was, that's touchy, right? So we have the, you know, we're, we're Christians and we're Americans and we should have pride in the fact that we're Americans. There's nothing wrong with that. And pe- people should not shame you for being a patriot and, and being proud of our country. Why? Because our country is founded on uh, amazing foundations, uh, primarily the Constitution, and that we have rights given by God. So that has saved us and continues to save us. That's why people flock to come here, and it's the greatest place to be on earth. But we can take that for granted as well. But doesn't give us the right to exercise our citizenship above our true citizenship, which is in heaven. So if you're a believer, you're a citizen of heaven, and you live here, but you live here as an ambassador. What does that mean? We're to represent our heavenly kingdom here on earth. So we talked about that in chapter 13. So now in chapter 14, we're going to get into an area that is the reason there are so many denominations. There are are denominations that have split and then split and then split to the point where there's just so many denominations. It's hard to keep up with. And there's denominations and then they have a different shade of that denomination and a different shade of that denomination. And If you look at the Bible, do you realize there's no such thing as a denomination in the Bible? What you find in the Bible is that we're all one in Christ and that we should strive for unity. And if you have the Holy Spirit residing inside of you and you're submitted to that, then the Holy Spirit should generally lead us in the same direction. And that's to glorify God. So... What causes all those splits, and why are there so many different views on things, and how should we handle that? So that's what's addressed in chapter 14. So look at verse 1. Verse 1 should get our attention very quickly. It says, Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things so he says within the body of Christ that we're to receive an individual and that that word is interesting receive the Greek word is pros lambano if you want to write that one down it's a fun one but it, it, it's a, I'm not just saying that for no reason. It's because the word is really good. It's really helpful. It means to take towards. So when you think about taking towards, that doesn't sound like a sort of a passive thing, does it? It sounds like we're to have an an attitude of receiving and accepting someone into the fellowship. But he points out that The reason he's saying that is because there's going to be a possibility, and even in the early church, this was was a thing going on, and there were fractions happening in the very early church. And those fractions had to do in the early church with the acceptance of the Gentiles into the body of Christ. So the Jews had to receive the Gentiles into the same fellowship. And that was hard for them. Why? That was hard for them because they considered themselves in a whole different category than anybody else. And we saw when we went through the book of Acts that that was causing Paul to be continually on the run for his life because the Jews were angry at him 
Because he would say the forbidden word, the G word, Gentile. And it would cause a rage. And it would bring into play all these ideas about uncleanness and filthiness. And these Gentiles who would eat foods that weren't what? Kosher. That were unclean. And do you remember in the book of Acts, God had to go to Peter directly. And Peter got a vision. And that vision, there was a sheet that came from heaven. And on that sheet, there was unclean and clean animals. There were things on that sheet that he saw in that vision that would repulse him. Because he would be so trained in the ways of Judaism that those things would just gross him out. They would put a barrier between him and other people. And, and God said, hey, you know what? They're all the same now. Everything's different. Kill and eat. Praise the Lord. Kill and eat. If you had a steak tonight, praise the Lord for that. <laughs> Enjoy it. So in, in Christ, he was, teaching, he was teaching Peter. These were the leaders of the, the early church. These were disciples. He was teaching them that in Christ, the things that were important religiously are now not a thing. In other words, there's freedom. So you have the, the, this body of believers forming, and they would be Jews and Gentiles. That would be hard enough for a Jewish person and probably for the Gentiles too. But then, then the teaching would go out. And here we're seeing it from Paul that, hey, look, those things that you hold so dear, like a Jewish person, that, that kosher eating, do Jewish people still do that today? Yes, they do. He's saying that's not a thing anymore. So that's one of the ways that he is uh, describing doubtful things. And then, he, and then uh, like a Gentile, so Gentiles, they would be concerned because they know that there are certain meats before they got saved that would be dedicated to or sacrificed to idols. So a, a Gentile that got saved they would be like, man, I, I can't eat that particular meat because it would be dedicated to idols. And that, that bothers me. And so this is what Paul is dealing with. But you may be saying, well, that's not really an issue for us. Really? It is an issue. That's why we have so many denominations. Dividing over doubtful things. Now, you'll have trouble tracking this quote down, but it's a pretty well-known quote. And it seems, when I look at who said it, it seems debatable who actually said it. But it, the, the quote is very, very good. And it says, in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. And in all things, charity. And what that means is, is that there are essentials in Christianity in which we stand on, and it is our hill to die on. Essentials. We, those are our hills to die on. The deity of Christ, inerrancy of Scripture, the Trinity, salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and things like that. The resurrection is the bodily resurrection of Christ. So there, there's essentials. We don't compromise. We cannot compromise because it means if we compromise on those, we're compromising salvation itself. But then there's other things, non-essential things. So as I was thinking about this, I started to think about things that have caused me personal problems from other people because of a doubtful thing that was their sole thing. 
and they were inflexible and it was a non-essential. And then I asked some of my friends if they could think of anything and I asked some of my pastor friends if they could think of some of those things. So I'm going to give you a few of those things. Is that okay? Anybody have a problem with that? Ushers, take them out if they do. So here's some of those, the things that in verse 1 that I think Paul would say it's a doubtful thing. And, and this is something that's not specifically or yeah, specifically said in Scripture. So it might rub you the wrong way, so be careful. You might get uncomfortable. So here's some of the things. Smoking. Are you going to hell because you smoke? No. Are you one who should be received into the body of Christ the same as anybody else in the body of Christ, even if you smoke? Yes. This is what he's talking about. Let's talk about some other things. How about dressing, how you dress? There's a lot of ways you can go with that. So what does the Bible actually say about dressing? Well, it does say something. It does say to be modest in your dressing. So, so here's how you can split denominations. What does that mean? How modest should one be? Probably every single one of us use ourselves as the starting point to answer that question. And everybody else is going to be shaded a little to the left or a little to the right of what our center is. So we usually view doubtful things. We usually view it sort of like if you go to an amusement park and you walk in, you don't know where to go, and it says, you are here. So we all view these doubtful things like that. I'm here and probably everybody else is not going to be exactly where we want them to be, right where we are. So some are going to shade a little to the left, some a little to the right. So how do we get through the dressing thing? Well, modesty. Well, erring on the side of caution is always best. And if, you know, obviously there's some pretty extreme cases where you'd say that's actually really that's crossing the line that's really not good but generally we're talking generally in you know I think most women in our body of Christ and men men you should dress modestly too <laughs> generally dress modest but according to maybe a different denomination you are Big heathens and going to hell. I've had discussions with people at our church about women wearing jeans. And the thought and the feeling was that they're going to hell because they're wearing jeans. Or another example is wearing your Sunday best suit and a tie. Sunday best. Now, that's another difficult issue because for some people, they're, they are in their Sunday best when they're wearing workout clothes. <laughs> so how do you deal with that? I err on the side of, I don't want to really see that in church, but that's a doubtful thing. If it's immodest or you're wearing something that has a, saying on it that's inappropriate or, you know, that's one thing. We're not talking about those things. But, you know, I, I kind of like nice dress in church. But I personally, I don't wear a suit a lot just in my personal life, but I like wearing suits. I would probably gravitate more to, I'd kind of like to have suits on Sunday. But I'm okay with not. But see, do you know denominations have formed because there's suitors and non-suitors? <laughs> and so we're going to form a church because you're a suitor. 
and there's a non-suitor. Well, that's one example. So another example is music. You may be a hymn person, and you think if you don't do hymns in church, you're going to hell, or somebody else is going to hell. Or you just may think that's wrong. And now, you know, with contemporary Christian music, there's some really bad contemporary Christian music and you and I should be praying for Colin about the selection of them because that's important. That's really important. And him and I do look at songs and we do discuss it because we don't want to have something going out from here and there's a lot of popular music in Christianity. It's just, it's just not good. It's not theologically correct. It, it just is shaded towards emotionalism and feelings. And, and some songs you could be singing along and you realize, well, I don't feel that way. The person that wrote it felt that way. But I don't feel that way. Why am I singing this? So that's, that's a difficult thing. But music style. And so, you know, I'm really thankful to the older people in our church, and I'm not going to put a number on that because I definitely could be included in that. But I'm saying people that grew up on hymns, and now all of a sudden they're at a church that is not doing hymns maybe like the way that they did them. And maybe the people aren't dressing like they used to, but I see a lot of charity with the, the older people in our church. And I want to tell you, if, if, if you're not an older person, you will be, Lord willing. And there's going to be a time where there are going to be younger people doing things that you're not used to, and you're just, that's not the way we used to do it. But there's a flexibility in that. As long as it's not sinful and if it's more of a stylistic thing and you know things like that, Things change. We don't dress like they did in Jesus' day. We don't wear tunics and things like that. So when you get start getting into these issues, you, you're going to find yourself being spoken of in Romans chapter 14. And let me just say, we all have them. And we all have these things that sort of maybe irritate us and bother us. You know, even being in a, a church building like this. That may bother somebody. And I would love to have a beautiful cathedral and, and all that, but those are very expensive. <laughs> and if someone would like to donate for that, and we'd like to have our own church building and all that, but, you know, we're just not able to. So is that okay? So what should, what should we do? So I, it's, this is not a conventional place to meet. Is that okay? Is it wrong or sinful? We may not like it, but is the Lord here? Is God being worshipped? I've been to some amazing cathedrals in Europe, and I was just blown away by the architecture, but I was also blown away of how dead it was. And I would take a place like this, has the Spirit of God moving in the hearts of the people over a dead cathedral. So what else did I think of? Church membership. Do you know that's not in the Bible? Do you know I've taken some heat that we, you don't have to you know, sign over your family and firstborn and your mortgage and everything to be a part of the church? We do have some vetting if you want to serve. I think that's important. It's, we're on the same page. But if someone wants to come here, it's not like a gang where you get jumped in and then you get jumped out if you leave. We hope you find this a place where you can thrive, where the Word is being taught, where you're going to be loved on by the people of God, and there will be grace and charity for, for you wherever you're at. So that's not really... A, that could be a thing that people divide on. How about... Uh, if you have to work on Sundays. Some people can really come at you if you have to work on Sundays. So that would be a big problem for you NFL players here. You, you, you would never get to 
go to church. But NFL players have team chaplains and they have Bible study. But for some people, that's a really big deal. Uh, Another thing that uh, I thought of is TV or no TV. I think that may be a little bit of older thing where people would actually not talk to you if you had a TV in your house because you would be in sin. Now I think it could be social media or not social media. Well, you're a social media person. Well, I'll talk to you, but you're kind of carnal. You know, what do you have? Do you have TikTok? Then you're really carnal. (laughs) Facebook, not so bad, but all of that stuff has garbage on it. And you, for sure, you're going to see something inappropriate. I don't care what social media on. Something's going to pop up. It's going to be inappropriate. How about, I'm from Southern California. How about going to the beach or not going to the beach? That could be an issue. I know some churches uh, that they meet on the beach. And there's some stuff on the beach that, I don't know, if you look at the bathing suit trends, things have changed a lot. So that's, that can be an issue for people. How about school choice for your children? Homeschool, public school, private school. So that's a thing that I've seen cause division in churches and doesn't tell us in the Bible. And I have a little history behind me now in the ministry, and I've seen where some of the kids that grew up going through public school, are on fire for the Lord as adults. Some of the kids that went through homeschool are not walking with the Lord at all, and vice versa. Well, you say, oh, what about private school? Same thing. It's not about the environment, because if it was, in the Garden of Eden, there was a perfect environment. But you need to make that decision for yourself as a parent. It's not something to divide over. Here's one that actually was involved in a church split because of this. Demand feeding your baby or schedule feeding your baby. I've seen a church split because of this. Yeah. How about maybe, like, this might be an older thing, but how about if you play cards? How about if you have people over and you're playing cards? They're... That's probably an older thing, but if you're older, you know, some people will extremely judge you and think you're going to hell because you're playing cards. Movies. How about movies? There are certainly plenty of movies that you can outright say you should not see that. And sometimes we categorize it, you know, the R, PG, and all that, but... There's a lot of PG movies that you should not be watching. And there can be an R movie. So, like The Passion of Christ. I won't say who saw that because you might get judged. But I bet most of you saw that. A lot of you saw that. And it was rated R because it was violent. I have a lot of these. I'm... I don't want to spend all my time doing these, so I'll say a few quickly. Um, Dating or courting? Kissing or not kissing? Secular music. How about if there's music that's secular, it's not Christian, but there's nothing really bad in it, like some music you definitely should not if it has certain words over and over again repeated that are just horrible. You should not listen to that. If it talks about things that are very carnal and repeats that over, you should not listen to that. But there may be songs and music that are just, you know, happy songs. Don't worry, be happy. Like, should you not listen to that song? Because it's secular. Do you see what I mean? But... This is what Paul is dealing with. Another thing I thought of is hair length. I've seen judgment about that. Then how about the UFC? 
Do any of you watch? Don't raise your hand. Do any of you watch the UFC? What's that? Ultimate Fighting Championship. Some people could be very offended because you watch the UFC. And some of you just enjoy the competition and don't have any conviction about blood coming out of someone's eye socket. <laughs> so these would fall, and I can't find a scripture because the, the Bible has a lot of head cutting off stuff. And I mean, so the Bible has that in it. So that's what we're talking about. So kind of on the same page here. So with that, let me read verse 1 again. So, receive or take towards you, even someone who watches the UFC, take them towards you. Don't say, I don't have anything to do with you. But take them towards you. It says, receive the one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. So that's the term. So don't make it like your goal to where you can you only talk to them or accept them if they think about certain disputable, doubtful issues exactly like you. What's going to happen if, if that's your attitude? You're not going to have any friends? Nobody's going to feel comfortable around you? People will feel judged by you? People will feel as if you don't care about them or you don't love them? So he directly says, receive them. And all of us need to be received because all of us are experiencing and even entertaining some doubtful issues in our life. So he goes on and explains that a little bit more. He says in verse 2, For one believes he may eat all things. So there, there's a person. Who, who would that person be? Is that the weak person or the strong person? Don't answer that. But So there's a person that says, Hey, there's meat sacrificed to idols. Let's go for it. It's cheaper. It would be. The meat sacrificed to idols would be cheaper. They would be able to get it cheaper. So they're saying, let's eat that. Can you imagine how other people, that, that's dedicated to idols. You can't eat that. And then there would be other people that would say, well, that's a lobster. Do you know those? what those do? And those are unclean and those are crustaceans and you can't eat that. So you'd have the early church with all kinds of this going on. So there's an individual who believes all things. You can eat all things, bacon, whatever you want, lobster. But then there's one who wheat, who's weak, and he eats only vegetables. So there you go. If you're a vegetarian, now you know where you're at. <laughs> but you know what? If you are a vegetarian, seriously, he's not talking about being a vegetarian for any other reason other than you don't eat meat because of spiritual reasons. So if you're a vegetarian because of spiritual reasons, then that's a problem. But does not mean that you should be looked at less than or inferior to, it just means that you feel strongly about that. You have a, an issue about that. But he, he says that you would be a weaker one. So who's considered the weaker one? It's the one that doesn't have freedom in Christ. They're uncomfortable with that. And that's okay. So don't get that wrong. That's okay. It just means that you don't feel comfortable with the full freedom that's in Christ. And all of us have certain, a certain thing where 
There's something that we can't be fully free and we need a, we're weak in a certain area. So we have some sort of thing where we just don't, I don't want to do that. I'm weak in this area, but at least know this, you know, this is an area for me that I'm weak in and I don't have the freedom. But there's all of these categories and all these differences within the church. So in verse 3, he says, let not him who eats has the freedom to eat whatever they want. Don't despise him who does not eat. So think about all those categories and all those issues I talked about in the beginning. And think about how one might look at another person as a, a terrible person. Because maybe they date instead of court. And I don't even never knew, even really knew what that exactly meant. But maybe somebody go you know watches the UFC and has the freedom to do that. Well, don't, don't look at that person like they're just baby Christian. They don't they don't know they're baby Christian. They don't know what to do. So don't despise them. Is what he's saying. And also, on the flip side, let not him who does not eat judge him who eats. So, on the flip side, one can look at a person that has the freedom to do certain things that they don't have, and then they could be judgmental and judgy and say, well, I would never do that. That's that type of attitude. So in verse 4, he gives the reason we shouldn't make these type of judgments about inferiority or superiority in those issues, those doubtful issues. He says, who are you to judge another servant? So that's the reason. But what, he, what he's saying is that we all have our own individual, personal relationship with God. He's our master. We all stand and fall before God. And it doesn't depend on what other people think or say. So he's really emphasizing an individual's walk with God. And that's important. Because when it all is said and done, it really comes down to our our own walk with God. And to have that comfort in our own walk with God that we don't let other people's opinions, not biblical issues, but doubtful issues, we don't let their opinions form and shape our relationship with God, but our relationship with God is formed by Him and the Word of God. And you know what? Some of these doubtful issues, we might change over time. So there may be a, a thing that we felt very strongly about. And as we grow in the Lord, maybe we have a completely different thought or feeling about that. But what he is saying is it's important that, that each one has their own walk with God. And that's an individual, personal thing that we have he says to his master to his own master he stands or falls indeed he will be made to stand for God is able to make him stand what he's saying is don't play the Holy Spirit in everybody's life we don't need another Holy Spirit we just have one and we're not it and we're not to go around and be the Holy Spirit for everybody. And I'm telling you, I've seen this happen over here. It'll kill your walk and it'll, it'll kill a church if you have a bunch of people like that. It's just not fun to be around and with people that, that are like that and that are judgy and condemning. So he's saying, if God is our master, he's saying, who, would you, who do you think you are to, to come and and, and tell my people, my servants, what they should be doing. That would, just, that would be like someone from a church down the road that comes in and says, you people, 
you shouldn't park your cars the way you're parking. It's like, what do you mean? Who are you? What are you talking about? You shouldn't be meeting on Wednesday nights. So he's saying we don't have the right to do that in somebody else's life. Now, again, this is not talking about biblical issues. These are doubtful issues. Biblical issues within the body of Christ, we have an obligation when someone is straying from the word, from this truth, to deal with that in love and gentleness. But that's, that's something that we're required to do. So in verse 5, he talks about another issue in their day that was very controversial. One person esteems or emphasizes one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. So that's kind of, we see that now. If you don't meet on a certain day, if you don't meet on a, on a Saturday, then you're in sin. If you don't meet on the Sabbath day, then you're in sin. And sometimes people will come and they'll, you'll meet them and, and they'll put their trip about a day. And they'll say there's a, a certain day. This is the day that we're supposed to meet. Saturday. You better meet on Saturday. If you meet on Sunday, you're in sin. And he's saying, in Christ, there's not a thing like that. I don't know about you, but to me, every day is a day to enjoy and worship God. I love when we meet together. We happen to meet corporately on Wednesdays and Sundays. But I love every day. Every day is a day to worship the Lord. And we shouldn't have a, a just a day. That's our day we worship the Lord. All the rest of the days I worship myself. <laughs> One day is above. That's like the day I act different. Other days I'm free to do whatever I want. When you're in Christ, every day, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. So don't let someone come to you and just put a whole day thing on you and bring you into bondage. But if you're a person that feels strongly about a certain day, then go for it. That's okay too. But do you notice what he tags on the end of that in verse 5? Let each one be fully convinced in his own mind. So that's the key. So we shouldn't try to talk somebody out. If, if Saturday's just a big day, I think seven-day Adventists are Saturday people. Well, that's great. Go for it. We shouldn't be like... You're horrible, you're in sin, you're evil, you're going to hell. Just let them do whatever they want. If that's what they're fully convinced, go for it. But don't try to make me do it. Because I'm fully convinced every day is alike. I'm fully convinced of that. So don't try to put your thing on me. If you've been around the body of Christ for any length of time, you'll run into somebody who will try to put their thing on you. Don't let them put your th their thing on you. Because if it's their thing, it's their thing. doesn't mean it's your thing. Just make sure everything's a biblical thing. Don't let somebody put their thing on you. That's what he's saying. In verse 6, he says, He who observes the day observes it to the Lord. And he who does not observe the day to the Lord, he does not observe it. He who eats to the Lord... For he gives God thanks, and he who does not eat, to the Lord he does not eat, and gives God thanks. For none of us lives to himself, and no one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. So that just solves all of our problems. And you might want to just tuck that away somewhere. Because it, it tells us how to make choices about our actions. Whatever we do, we do it as unto the Lord. So if we can do a certain thing, if, if we're doing it to the Lord, do you remember in chapter 12, we presented ourselves to God as holy living sacrifices. So now we're His and the way we live our life and make our choices and go about things is, Everything we do, we do it as unto the Lord. And that means we are free to do whatever we want 
as long as we're doing it as unto the Lord. And so that really just settles all of these doubtful, disputable issues. If in our heart we are doing what we're doing to the Lord, then we are free. And if we're violating our conscience or falling into sin, then there's an answer to that too. What is that? Repentance. If we fall in sin, 1 John 1, nine, what do we do? We confess it to God. And then as we confess it to God, that word means that we agree with God about it. We say, Lord, I, that was wrong. And I'm sorry. And God is faithful and just to forgive us. Then we just keep going on. None of us are perfect. But if we have the attitude of whatever I do, I want to do it as unto the Lord. Then we'll begin to be shaped in our thoughts and our actions. I have noticed as I've gone along on my Christian journey, there are things I just, it's not like I have to stop doing it. I don't want to do it. I don't, you know, like drinking for me. What does the Bible say? Is that one of those doubtful issues? The Bible does address drinking. And it says you can drink, but you can't get drunk. So if you want to walk that line, that's up to you. I personally, if I drink, I have a conviction about that in my heart. I would be violating my conscience. And I am very concerned about stumbling another brother or sister knowing how many of you have come out of alcoholism? So what, would, what kind of person would I be? Is like, well, I have liberty to do this and not care about you. Well, he addresses that. But if we just first start off with the place of understanding that, that if we do it to the glory of God, then we have freedom. And as we grow in God, there's going, we're going to be shaped and transformed to where there's more things that we do that honor the Lord and please the Lord. So in verse 8, he says again, If we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So because of that, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. Verse 9, For to this end... Christ died, and he rose, and he lived again, that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. In other words, he wants to be the Lord of our life. But why do you judge your brother, and why do you show contempt for your brother? So these are these different attitudes that can fester in the heart of a believer when someone is not doing what they think they should be doing. Remember, these are not biblical issues. These are doubtful issues. And we can start festering and simmering about that brother or sister who may have the liberty to do those things. And it bothers us. And then he says... For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. He's talking about our rewards for being faithful as believers. He's not talking about judgment and damnation, which is the great white throne judgment in Revelation chapter 20. He's talking about sort of like the award that one would get in the Olympics. So you run your race. Your race is not my race. And my race is not your race. We all have our own race that God has laid out. And how will we be rewarded? Faithfulness. That's it. So we, the Bible says, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we'll actually be rewarded eternally simply for faithfulness to what God God has allowed us to do in serving Him in His kingdom. So there are actual eternal rewards for that. 
That's why Jesus said, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven and not on earth. The ones on earth, moth, moths can eat it and rust can corrode it. But when we build up treasures in heaven, it can't be altered or tainted and they're eternal. So that's what he's saying. He's saying, look, every individual we stand and fall before God. He is the ultimate one we are all accountable for. So the Holy Spirit is the one who works in and through people's lives individually. And so if there's doubtful things, just come alongside them, um, bring them toward you, accept them into the body. And you might be one of them. I might be one of them. You need to accept me because maybe I'm weak in the faith about something. But let's just come together in Christ and allow the Holy Spirit to work those things out in a person's life. Let's let him have his own timetable, right? Do we have timetable for people where we think, man, they should be here because that's where I am and they're like down here, so they're no good. But just don't worry about all that stuff. Let God do the work in a person's life and God is faithful to do that, isn't He? And He's better at it than us. And when we get into that area, then all we can do is damage, hurt. And you know what? We're hurting ourselves the most. Because right before this section, He talked about having a plank in our eye and trying to deal with somebody else that has a speck in theirs. So in other words, He's saying, just worry about your own walk. And let God worry about other people's walks. And let those doubtful issues, let God work those out. In verse 11, he says, For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then... Each of us shall give account of himself to God. There it is. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or cause to fall in our brother's way. So he's saying, here's what you really need to think about. There are weak brothers and sisters and strong brothers and sisters. And notice the, the weaker ones are the ones that are more legalistic and have more rules and religious things that they need in their life to help them. The stronger ones, the one that has the freedom in Christ. But he's saying the way to deal with all that and this is the most important thing. Don't do anything that would stumble your brother or sister. Don't stumble them. So for me, that's something that I, th I think about in regards to these scriptures a lot. And that's why I don't feel personally that I have the liberty to drink alcohol. And you know, I really don't have any interest in that. But... That's why, because I'm concerned about stumbling somebody. And I know for sure, if I was at Marty B's having a ribeye steak, and I don't even know if they have bourbon there, but if they did, and you saw, or somebody saw me, that would be a problem. And maybe I could say, well, I have the liberty to do this. I'm free in Christ. And next thing you know, that person falls off the wagon. Maybe that person is struggling with that. And at that something something like that actually happened to me one time. Where I was I was with some teenage teenagers and we happened to be at a restaurant and there was a youth pastor from a different church there that came and did Bible studies for their football team. 
and he was drinking beer, and it really messed them up. And that's just one example. I could give you a lot of examples, but just one example of just, is it really worth it? Is it really worth it? So that's what he's saying. Is He's saying now there's a, a whole different thing a believer lives by. And if you're the weak brother or the strong brother or sister, there's a whole different thing. And here's, here's a new thing that he's introducing. It's the law of love. And that we consider other people in the freedom that we have to make personal choices. Does that make sense? Here he's saying if there's something that, that you do, that you have the liberty to do, but it's, it's actually going to really harm somebody or cause them to stumble, then he's saying just don't do it. Is it worth it is what he's saying. Is uh, the, the influence that God has given you to have in other people's lives, is it, is it worth it to use that to cause another person to stumble? And, of course, his, his answer is that's not how Christians live. So in this, in this particular passage, it's like, well, you know what, weak brother, you are worried about that, that meat that has been sacrificed to an idol, but I don't have any problem with it, so let's have dinner, and I'm going to order the steak that was offered to an idol, and I'm going to eat it right in front of you because I have the freedom to do that. And he's saying, if you do have that freedom, you should not use it like that. Because that other person that does have a problem, it's going to hurt them. They're going to be messed up. So he says in verse 14, he says, I know and I'm convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean in itself. So that's where the freedom is. It really doesn't matter if this, there's no such thing as, as kosher or not kosher anymore. We can eat all of it if we want. It doesn't affect us spiritually or our relationship with God whatsoever. But to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it's unclean. Yet, if your brother is grieved because of your food, you are no longer walking in love. You might want to underline that. That's the key. Now you're not walking in love if you push your freedom so far where it hurts somebody else who doesn't have that freedom. So now you've actually fallen into sin, the sin of not considering and loving your brother or sister in Christ. He says, do not destroy with your food the one whom Christ died. That's pretty heavy, isn't it? Therefore, do not let your good be spoken of as evil. In other words, your freedom in Christ, don't be let it spoken of as evil because you're using it to hurt people. For the kingdom of God is not Eating and drinking, that's not what it's all about. That's not what's important. But it's righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. You know what he's saying? He's saying it's not about these things we do on the outside. It's about fellowshipping with God in our inner person. And so if one becomes a believer in Christ, the kingdom of God comes inside of them and then that person now walks by the Spirit and not by the flesh. Not perfect, but that's the direction of our life. And as we do that, the primary gift of the Spirit is what? The fruit of the Spirit is love. So love is the thing, and the way we can love other people is not to force our freedoms on them, but to consider how we might hurt them because we're doing something that is uncomfortable or they, they kind of have a conviction about. Verse 18, For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God 
and approved by men, that's where we want to be. We want to have as much as possible by living for God, a good relationship with other people, as much as is possible to do that, because we're considering them in love. Verse 19, Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify one another. And I find that huge. That we can get in our understanding that God has given us an ability in Christ to exercise ourselves in God to the extent where we will be a force of edification for other people. That's huge. You You know what it's like to be in a church filled with edifiers? Edify means building up, encouraging. What, what builds up? Encouragement, love, blessing, praying for people, not competing with people, glorifying God together. And you come on a Wednesday night, do you know the impact you can have on people? You, you know you're having an impact right now? Because no one stands or falls before God alone. You being here is significant. And we're not talking about a legalistic being here. We're talking about your presence here. It blesses and encourages other people. It's huge. And then to go beyond that and to be able to have an opportunity to have words that you can say to another person to lift them up and bless them, to edify them. And know we all need that. Tomorrow and I were praying on the way over here, Lord, let us be force of, uh, forces of edification and encouragement because we're all hurting. We all had a hard week, I bet. We all got some news or we all got some information or we got, all got something that just kind of messed us up. And here we are, the body of Christ, and we can edify each other in Christ. That's huge. That's what the body of Christ should be doing. Verse 20, do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. When you say it like that, it sounds so ridiculous, doesn't it? That that we'd be willing to cause somebody to be wrecked so we can have our steak or our bacon or whatever. It just sounds so ridiculous. He says, all things indeed are pure, but it is evil for the man who eats with offense. It is good neither to eat meat, nor to drink wine, nor to do anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended or made weak. Do you have faith? Have it to yourself before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. In other words, he, he's saying, don't violate your convictions and your conscience. This is a huge thing. This is what Satan is constantly trying to get us to do, to violate our convictions or our conscience. That's how he moves innocent children, youngsters, whatever it may be. That's how he moves them into a realm of debauchery. It's by continual violations of one's conscience. It's peer pressure, pressuring someone to do something that they know inside of them it's wrong. There's something horrible about it, but the peer pressure, and then you add in drugs and alcohol, which desensitizes one's senses and shuts off the part of your brain that that gives you ability to make good judgments. And then their conscience is being violated. And when your conscience is violated, that becomes normal and you get used to it. What happens when you get used to it? You get a hard heart to the things of God. That's why the world is trying to desensitize us to sexuality that is perverted. And they want us to feel terrible for thinking... Something is grotesque, like homosexuality, we should think that is, because it is. It's not natural. But the world wants to say, if you think like that, you're a horrible person. 
Why do they say that? Because there's an attempt to desensitize us so that we think all of that is just normal. It's okay. What he's saying is don't violate your conscience. Honor your conscience. God's given us a conscience to warn us and keep us from that which is harmful uh, to us. Don't violate that. Don't cross that. Hear it. Listen to it and say, oh, that's, that's, I don't want to go there. Let that be a warning. It's a gift of God that He's given us that conscience. And then in verse 23, But he who doubts is condemned if he eats, because he does not eat from faith, for whatever is not from faith is sin. See, he's addressing this issue of, of how one forces doing something that they know is wrong, and especially in the context of what we're looking at, the certain peer pressure, even within the body of Christ, peer pressure that can happen when one puts pressure on someone else to do something that they don't have a conviction about or they don't have a thing, so don't make up a thing about it. And at the end of the day, don't close your Bibles. We still have chapter 15. I am kidding. We're always going to finish at 8.30, so don't, don't worry. We're always going to finish at 8.30, no matter around there, no matter how long. So, heavy chapter, isn't it? You, can you see how Satan works to divide the body of Christ down to so many things that really, at the end of the day, they don't even matter? And people say, well, we'll just start our own church because they don't do the thing like we do. And then you'd start doing that a hundred times, and then you, how many denominations? you? I don't even know. And so at the end of the day, just to simplify it, if we can just simply take our life and say, Lord, let my life glorify you and edify others. And that's it. That's, and we have the freedom to do that. And God will bless that. And God will bless a fellowship like that. So I pray that our fellowship would be like that. Will you join me in praying that our fellowship would be like that? Let's start right now. Lord, thank you for this evening and my brothers and sisters here. I pray that you would bless them. I pray that you would help us to walk in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I pray that we would enjoy our freedom where the Spirit is. There's freedom. But also, Lord, help us to edify our brothers and sisters and respect and honor their conscience and the things that they find in themselves and their walk with you important for them to uphold. Let us, at the end of the day, be charitable to one another, love one another for love covers a multitude of sin. We pray this in Jesus' name. All God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great night. And Lord willing, we'll see you Sunday.